next edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. I'm your host, Pete Mazzetti. My guest this evening is Bob Rader, who's the executive director of CABE. Bob, welcome. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Good, good to, to see, see you, you in person. Yeah. It's usually we see each other through Zoom, but it's actually nice to have you in the studio with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Welcome back. My pleasure. Glad Good to be here. How have you been? We've been pretty good. Good. Rather busy. Oh, you it's think? It's been a different yeah. kind of year. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, we've done pretty well. Yeah, good. So, Bob, tell us a little bit about CABE and exactly what you guys do. So, we represent the boards of education across the state. Not everyone, but cl pretty close. Okay. And uh, we do advocacy. In other words, going up to the legislature, hearing what they have to say. Uh, talking to legislators about some of the issues that affect school boards. Uh, and obviously, by school boards, I mean also school districts, superintendents, teachers, and of course our students. Right. Um, we, we put out journals, we um, do work in employee relations, we do uh, convention every year, biggest convention in Connecticut every year for okay. school board members. Um, so there's a lot we're always doing. We do, uh, we provide legal advice, all kinds of things for boards of education. Whichever can, whatever can help them be more effective in their roles. Right. Now, as far as your background, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are with CABE. Well, it's interesting. I uh, grew up on Long Island. Okay. I went to Cornell, undergraduate. All right. I went to Albany Law School. Out of Albany Law School, about four months after I graduated, I started a job with the New York State School Boards. Okay. I was there 15 years and did all kinds of things with them. I was a lobbyist, assistant counsel. Uh, I ran their risk management program. I ran their policy and negotiations programs. And uh, one day I'm reading Education Week, which is the, uh, the weekly uh, education okay. <laughs> news right. from across the country, and I saw there was an advertisement for uh, somebody to become the executive director of Connecticut's association. And so I applied, and uh, that was 26 years ago. Wow. 25 and a half. Well, long, all right. I don't want to cheat. No, of course not. You like and it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have great people working for me. I have a great board of directors. Um, and it's been, it's been up and down, of course, oh, because yeah. education has been. And it's a, it's a tough role, but I really enjoy it. Now let's talk about the way education has been, especially in the last school year and mm -hmm. last last year of the pandemic, at yeah. least last year of the pandemic, as far as the way things look from the start of everything to what, what they're looking like now, because right now, you, you we were talking off camera, the school year's almost about to end. Well, it's, it's been a hard year, yeah. and uh, I've got to compliment in particular uh, the teachers, the paraprofessionals, mm -hmm. the right. school counselors, certainly the superintendents and our boards for going through such a tough year. You know, nobody comes onto a board of education, which is a volunteer job. Nobody right. gets paid. No. Um, because they want to give back to their communities, and they give back to their communities, but over the last year, that has been very difficult. Uh, certainly, we started off with all of a sudden on March, I believe it was 17th, actually the St. Patrick's Day, yeah. um, the schools closed down. Right. 
And from that time till the beginning of the summer, there was lots of discussion. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to uh, provide education to our kids even though they're at home? Mm -hmm. Uh, so a number of people went into action, including the Dalio Foundation, certainly the State Department of Education, mm -hmm. um, superintendents and so on, and they made sure uh, it's taken a while, but every kid who needs one has a laptop, has a hotspot, yep. and is able to communicate with, um, with teachers and, and maintain their education. Right. Um, I guess one of the breaking points came, not breaking points literally, but one of those right. inflection points, mm -hmm. I guess people call it now, sure. came last July um, when the commissioner, then Miguel Cardona, That's right. um, uh, said, as the, the governor wanted it, that mm -hmm. every school had to have three plans, a hybrid plan, mm -hmm. a completely remote plan, and an in-person plan for the next year. Right. So everybody worked real hard on doing that, and then um, it was decided that superintendents would make the decisions of who would come back. Right. And they do that in conjunction with the Department of Health. So these are two groups that worked together somewhat, but over the last year had to work together very hard. Absolutely. Um, they had to decide you know, how to do contact tracing, how far apart students had to be. Um, putting in uh, dividers on desks and so on to protect our kids when they come back. So they came back, a number of them in the fall, uh, slowly but surely they all pretty much came back. And uh, I think it's a real success story. Um, I never stop marveling <laughs> at how the people who worked on this from the medical point of view did. Uh, you know, to come up with a vaccine in a year and a half. Right. Not everybody has taken it yet. Right. We understand there are issues with that. Absolutely. And we understand that kids under 12 don't, can't get it yet, but they will eventually. Absolutely. And they came up with this almost a miracle cure. Right. And um, certainly we have watched as the State Department of Education, now under Acting Commissioner Charlene Russell Tucker, mm -hmm. has worked with people from DPH, right. uh, including Matt Carter, the Absolutely. state epidemiologist, um, to talk every week, uh, every Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock, and this is open to anybody, and it's, it's not going to be every week anymore. Uh, <laughs> we learned today, I think it's going to be every two weeks or every month, I don't remember exactly. Okay. But they would tell people, this is what you have to do on contact tracing. These are the documents you need to know about. This is what you should do in these various situations that had superintendents and others flummoxed. Um, so um, there are lots of different questions. And uh, every week, it's been a real pleasure to see them. And, and they keep things, I don't want to say light, right. because it's heavy subject, Absolutely. But, but with a touch of, of real understanding, passion for what they're doing, and understanding of how important it is what the school districts are doing, including the superintendents mm -hmm. and the principals and, and the teachers to help our kids. Now, what you mentioned the, the Delio Foundation? Well, the Delio Foundation, what is it? well, that's uh, run by Ray Dalio okay. uh, with Barbara Dalio, two of, two of our friends who um, have done very, very well in the work he has done uh, 
mutual, um, not mutual funds, but, but in providing financial uh, advice to people. Sure. And uh, I believe it's the biggest uh, uh, fund in Connecticut. And it's run by these two people who care very much about our schools. Okay and who have over the years given much money to, to um, schools and they stepped in when we realized we needed to come up with more computers for our kids, more laptops. And they rushed right in working with um, a couple of, of the superintendents who, who volunteered, Nate Quinnell from East Hartford and um, Paul Freeman who is in Guilford and they, they worked together to make sure all kids had laptops. And, we have to remember that the kids were at home, so were the parents, right. so were the brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. So all at once you had everybody needing bandwidth, being able to, to figure out what's going on in their schools, um, talking to teachers, talking to other people. And uh, we're very lucky in Connecticut. We have some wonderful charitable groups that help this happen. And uh, it's just, to me, it's an amazing story. And certainly, uh, one of the most amazing parts was when we got a call last, la late last fall that uh, uh, Commissioner Cardona was right. going down to the U.S. Department of Education. That's right. Um, he is a wonderful, wonderful man with a good understanding of what the states need based on even the, the rather short time we had him as commissioner. I had many, many dealings with him. Um, we, we were on the phone all the time, as was he with the superintendents and the principals and the teachers' unions um, and other groups who, who were making very, very tough decisions. And I want to just talk about those sure, tough decisions absolutely. for a second. Yeah. Um, the way things seemed to play out was that a huge decision or huge planning had to be done by July uh, as I said before, three yep. plans for each district. Now, July is usually somewhat of a downtime for superintendents and boards, right. um, but that didn't really happen last year. No. And they've had to work right through the year. They didn't have times, uh, or as much time as usual, certainly for vacations and so on. Exactly. And they make a decision that, say, the elementary schools are coming back, um, because there hasn't really been showing that there's a lot of contagion by um, the, the younger kids. Okay. But what happened was at some point the teachers would say, no, we don't think it's safe enough. The community is saying, you know, those parents who are in the houses with the kids right. are saying, no, please take them back to school. <laughs> exactly. So whatever decision was made in some cases was was very difficult. Now I know of of some districts like Old Saybrook, for instance, sure. with with uh, Superintendent Peruccio right. and and um, one of my old friends now, uh, not in age, but in <laughs> in the time she has put into public education, Eileen Baker, who has been on sure. my board when I first came into uh, to Connecticut. Um, they made good decisions, they're trusted by their communities to make the right decisions, and my understanding is that board works very well, and uh, certainly Superintendent Peruccio is one of the, 
the stars among the superintendents. Uh, there are a number of them, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to start naming those who are and no. those who aren't. No, because you might miss somebody. Exactly, <laughs> or name the wrong one to the wrong crowd. Exactly. But certainly Superintendent Peruccio is somebody who has given us a lot of advice on issues over the years, and Absolutely. it's been terrific. Terrific. Absolutely. So getting back to to uh, Commissioner Cardona, yes. we got a call that the commissioner was going down to Washington. Uh, we wished him nothing but luck. We have um, watched him, and every now and then when I see him on television, he recently spoke to the National School Boards Association's okay. Federal Advocacy Institute, which happened to just last week, seems like a long time ago, yeah, right. but last week, he spoke to them, and I, I every now and then I'll text him, because I know how busy he is, and he always gets back to me with a thank you, or, or uh, how happy he is, but I think uh, the president and vice president made a great choice yeah. when they picked Miguel. Uh, he's a good friend, he's a smart guy, he understands how difficult some of these issues is, have been, and he is so passionate about public education, and we very much appreciate it. He's, I've never had a chance to interview him, but he seems very genuine and like a very hospitable and very nice guy. That's that's how he is. Okay. Now, he's not afraid to, to be <laughs> tough when he has to right. be. And we've had some of those kind of meetings, too. Oh, absolutely. And, and we can't agree on everything, but, but as a commissioner of education, I thought he was wonderful, and I was sorry he left, except that I knew it was bittersweet because he was going to have a huge effect on kids and teachers and superintendents and principals throughout the country. He's uh, who we need there at this time. Now, who took over for him when he left? Acting commissioner is now uh, Charlene Russell Tucker. Okay. Uh, Charlene is a wonderful, thoughtful person, um, has been passionate about education, and we've worked on all kinds of family engagement. Uh, we've worked on discipline, absenteeism, all kinds of different issues. Uh, she's been with the department for, such a, for quite a while. Uh, we don't know if uh, she'll be made permanent, uh, but she's a, a pleasure to work with. She gets back to us quickly and really tries to pull people together. You know, Connecticut, I came from New York, I yep. mentioned before. Yep. Well, New York is the kind of place where everybody has real sharp elbows. Mm -hmm. Everybody is trying to make their own name. Everybody sh tries to show how big and important they are. Uh, Connecticut, it's different. Uh, we've known people for many years in the same jobs. It's a smaller state, it's more collegial, and uh, I'm happy to say that we do work on some things together with the unions, certainly with CAPS and uh, Executive Director Fran Rabinowitz and, and uh, Paul Freeman, who is now uh, president of CAPS. Okay. Uh, we work with them all the time as well as with Glenn Longarini, ah. uh, Glenn, our friend at CIAC. Uh, but we do work with the union, so we don't agree with everything. Oh, and certainly, uh, over the last year, there were plenty of times when we disagreed. But, but I think deep down, people care very much about public education, and uh, we're willing to make compromises when we have to. Absolutely. And uh, it's really a pleasure, especially I would compare it to New York, where you might not see these same people in a room again. Right. Um, so I think that adds to a little of the, the feeling that they have to show off. Um, but in Connecticut, you know, it's, it's, it's really a small state and we all know people in the education system and working for, for public education or for 
the private uh, private education. So uh, it's it's more collegial, it's more fun, and I think it's it's more thoughtful in some cases about what we can do in the state. Absolutely, and li like you, like you mentioned earlier, that commission that Glenn Longarini from yes. from Cassia from CAC who's a mutual friend of both of ours. He Absolutely. was actually here not long ago. Yeah, well. Always uh, good to see him. Yes, definitely, Always definitely. Always good to see him. He, he's had a very tough year. I oh, mean, yeah. if we remember last year, what was happening with sports. Oh, yeah. And once again, the school districts may feel one way, the parents of the students felt a different way, uh, and yeah. sometimes, and, and so these are no-win situations. No. But they were done uh, with the help of the Department of Health. They were done with science and facts. And uh, I think that's what the people of Connecticut want and what they deserve. Absolutely, and the, the other person we have to mention is probably the governor. He's in a- Absolutely. The governor made a lot of very tough decisions. He's still making them. Yeah. Uh, he has a great staff around him. They have some wonderful people who mm -hmm. really helped over the last year. Right. You know, we had a uh, uh, municipal calls once a week with the head of DPH. Um, with uh, people high up in the governor's office, very often the governor was there, very often the, the deputy, uh, the lieutenant governor, sure. sorry, not a deputy, but we lieutenant governor, sure. uh, was on these calls. They took lots and lots of questions from school boards as well as from mayors and, mm -hmm. and selectmen across the state. And I really think that Connecticut did a good job, not perfect, Right. But we did about as well as we could do. And, uh, you know, I keep looking at these positivity rate numbers, yeah. and they go down lower right. and lower and lower. And I saw no, I think I, I saw zeros today for the number of uh, people who, who passed away to, due to COVID or were admitted to the hospital. And that is just a, yeah. a testament to um, our, our medical people oh, and yeah. the thoughtful way in which Connecticut has approached these very difficult issues. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, as far as the way that the school's year looked this year as compared to maybe how it's going to look in the fall when they, re when they resume the school year, what do you think? Well, I can tell you that the issue of whether kids are going to have to wear masks is arising among many of our uh, ah. school districts. Okay. Uh, parents think it's time to take the masks off, right. uh, but DPH hasn't said that, and the CDC, the federal government, sure. uh, health people haven't said that yet. I am hoping that there'll be a decision sometime over the summer. It would be great to have kids not have to wear masks. Right. But you know, with all the talk we had, especially last spring, how are they going to go back to school, especially the young ones wearing masks? Right. It sort of became a non-issue. And that's because the kids are great. Yeah. I think the parents did a great job telling them, yes, you have to wear masks, but it protects all of us. Um, we still haven't seen a uh, inoculations from those under 12, but yeah. we do see as we go to 14, to 16, to 18, we see more and more of our students have been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So we don't know exactly what it will look like um, next year. Certainly, uh, there'll be less remote learning, more in-school learning. Right. Um, School districts have been given the opportunity, school boards and superintendents, to decide whether or not they want to continue uh, remote. Um, there's no, as far as we know, 
there is no requirement that any school district have remote learning, but we do know that there's a law, I don't know if it's uh, a bill, I don't know if it's been signed by the governor yet, that will require the State Department of Education to come up with 180 days of, of education, K to 12, that can be done in a remote way. And we don't know how that will play out. We think, uh, as do uh, the commissioner, as do the unions, the superintendents, and the principals, that the best place for our kids is in school. Absolutely. Where they have a chance to be socialized, they meet other kids, um, they get to know their teachers, they get to know what's happening uh, uh, in so many different subjects, they have a chance to maybe be in the band or play sports. Exactly. So we think that the sooner kids get back to school, uh, the better. And now we're seeing the school year sort of wrap up. Yep. It was a hard year. It was. Uh, and we know, do know that some school districts were into hybrid, out of hybrid, and mm -hmm. so on. Um, but it was an amazing experience. And again, my hat's off to all those in the education system who made it possible for kids to, to do well, uh, even under these very trying circumstances. It's gotta be very interesting to actually do remote learning, as far as having to like log in. The teacher's gotta make sure everybody's, everybody's they're logged in, and if you're not, like it says you're logged in and you're really not there, can they tell? Well, <laughs> it's interesting because my, my wife teaches at a community college and of course the kids are older. Right. But they've made a decision to get into these classes. Ah. And uh, she says, all of a sudden, they, we'll just see the name of the child, not, right. the, not the whole uh, not the head. live head. Yeah. And she'll ask a question of a student, uh, maybe a student who, who had before said they wanted extra help, and she'll ask a question during the class and there'll be no response. So that's, oh, that's no. hard. Now you can do better with kids right. um, because I think the teacher has more authority and can certainly call the parents uh -huh. or talk to the parents. Uh, but it, it's tough, it's it tough. And, and it's, it's hard to sit in a chair, as we as, ad as adults know, and just do work for more hours, being on, on a Zoom call or oh, go absolutely. to meeting, whatever it is. And by the end of the day, you're pretty, pretty <laughs> tired out. Uh, yeah. Um, it's not like sitting in a class where you have breaks and so on. Right. Uh, but I know teachers have done their best to make these really good educational uh, programs. And uh, again, hats off to them. Hats off to the students who did well and really worked at it. One of the problems we have hmm. uh, found and uh, I've seen a lot of writing on it, is a number of students haven't checked in. Okay. They're mostly the older students. Okay. It's believed to be about 3% of them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's concerning. Plus, we do believe that, that Connecticut's, uh, the number of uh, students enrolled has also go do gone down by about 3%. So we're seeing some big differences in the def demographics and numbers and uh, certainly that will be reflected in the decisions made by local boards of education, educations with their uh, superintendents. Right. Now, is there a time frame that the person who took over for Dr. Cardona, is there a time frame that they have to 
appoint someone? No, I think uh, the State Board of I Education State has, Board. To make oh, a, has to gotcha. make a decision. They has, do it. Has to do a search unless they decide not to. The okay. governor's got to approve. And then it goes through the... Uh, Legislature? The Senate, yeah. Okay. So uh, there is no time for that yet, no and I have not heard of them doing a search. I think this has been a tough year for everybody. Oh, yeah. I think uh, uh, acting, uh, acting Commissioner Russell Tucker yeah. uh, has done very, very nicely, and, and I sure hope that she has a, a good shot at it. I can't say right. she's my number one favorite, exactly. because though I think she's terrific, who knows who, may else, who else may come up, right. but uh, I think she's terrific. Now, how closely do you guys work with the legislature? Uh, very, very yeah. closely. Um, our uh, deputy, deputy executive director and uh, general counsel, Patrice McCarthy, is oh. up at the legislature all the time. And uh, between her and Sheila McKay, who is our senior uh, staff associate for government relations, are, are always watching what's happening. And uh, it's been extra hard this year because the legislative office building right. as well as the Capitol have been closed. Oh, yeah. So there have been Zoom meetings, mm -hmm. and they certainly watch it on CTN and yep. wherever else uh, they can get a hold of it. Uh, and they will talk to legislators, as will our members, mm -hmm. about specific issues. And uh, so that is ongoing. Now, the legislature has not quite finished its work. Uh, the Senate, I believe, was in today. Yep, They're I doing so. the implementer bill. And my understanding is that a lot of it has to do with education. Okay. There's information on uh, reading and ensuring that kids can read once they hit uh, third grade. Okay. Um, and other issues that really have to be looked at. And uh, my understanding is that in the next few days, we'll know what was in these implementer bills. These bills really implement right. the, uh, the work of the, uh, of the legislature and give guidance to uh, the State Department of Education, the State Board of Education, certainly in many cases, school boards as well. No, go ahead. Well, I was just, I'm just hoping there aren't too many mandates right. uh, that people aren't, aren't quite ready for. Um, but we do appreciate the very good relationships we have with members of the legislature, as well as those in the governor's office and the governor himself. I was going to say, I, I'm assuming they're probably going to be in special session for however, however I, I, long it takes I, to... Well, the, the big issue is cannabis. Yep. Uh, my understanding is that it's only two or three days that they'll be in session. Okay. It seems like they, they don't finish, mm -hmm. uh, and then they always have more to do. Oh, but absolutely. That's understood. That's understood. And then we go through the, CABE goes through its own um, process in which we ask boards, send us resolutions. What do you want the legislature to do? What do you want a uh, state board? We get together. We have a committee that looks like this. Then um, in the fall, we have a delegate assembly that looks at all of these different issues and uh, makes decisions on, on what CABE believes is the best way forward on these issues. Bob Rader from CABE, would you mind sticking around for another segment? Sure, All my right. pleasure. We'll be right back. Thanks so much. Community TV, 
your neighborhood TV. Publicly funded and a reliable partner for cable companies nationwide. It provides transparent coverage of local and state government, education, and public programming. A digital town green that can be watched anywhere, anytime, and on any device. Watch us on today's high-tech distribution methods. Community TV in Connecticut. Local. Unfiltered. Reliable. And, and yours. yours. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pete Mazzetti Show. And here's Pete Mazzetti sitting here with Bob Rader from Cave. Bob, welcome back. Thanks so much, Peter. Thanks, buddy. Hey, Bob, let's open up this segment talking about diversity. Well, it's a tough issue. Well, okay. Uh, what we have done at Cave is really push, we have a committee led by uh, Leonard Lockhart, who is um, the uh, chair of the Windsor Board of Education. Okay. Um, and we have been working on issues concerning diversity, equity, and inclusion for, for years. Um, what we did this year is we did our first or second survey of our board members because we, we believe that um, some groups are underrepresented on boards of education. Right. Now, anybody is eligible as long as they're old enough and live in the town to run for a board of education. But we've seen over the years that there are fewer African-Americans, fewer Latinos or Hispanics um, on boards of education. We want to encourage everybody to come out. We think it's very important, especially while the numbers of children of color are rising. They're about to go over 50% of the, the students in our, in our communities. And it's very important that board members understand the concerns of um, these students. Uh, we have a wonderful consultant we hired, Dr. Martha Brackeen Harris, and uh, we work certainly with, with uh, uh, Donald Harris, who is the president of CABE, also the president, uh, the chair of the Bloomfield Board, okay. discussing these issues. And what we've seen over the last few weeks, and interestingly that, that we're having a couple of discussions, and it's in the newspaper, is the idea that some people are pushing that our schools are teaching what's called critical race theory. Okay. And CRT is a theory, but it's a way of looking at issues that maybe we haven't looked at in quite the same way before. Right. Uh, it's talk about um, white privilege yep. and what it means to be white as opposed to being a person of color. Um, what it means for there to be systemic um, discrimination. Um, we talk about oppression and um, who has oppressed in the past. But to me, with all these issues, and first of all, schools are not teaching um, uh, critical race theory. What they're teaching about is how we should all learn more about the history of black people, of uh, Hispanic people in our country. And what I've learned, and I've done a lot of work in this area, I'm also on the uh, Anti-Defamation League Board 
that covers the Connecticut region. Okay. Um, what we, what I've discovered, and like I said, I've done a lot of reading and so on, is that our lens on our history in America has been fairly narrow. It's mostly about what white people did, right. but we don't talk enough about um, what people of color, and I uh, would especially merit, uh, mention African Americans have done to help us win our liberty and our freedom. I just read a, a very interesting book on um, it, uh, the Civil War, the last year of the Civil War, okay. and it talked a lot about how it was so important to get, in particular, freed slaves to come fight on the side of the Union once we got to the last part of the war. And that history, uh, you might have seen a movie here and there that, that talks about it. Um, Glory was one of those movies. Yeah. But what you really what I really learned, and I've been an, interested in the Civil War and history for many years, is about how um, these soldiers, these black soldiers, former slaves, were treated, right. and they were not allowed in many cases by uh, the Confederacy to surrender. They were killed, uh, even though they were trying to surrender. This is a part of history we don't really talk about much. And another example of what we don't talk about is what happened in Tulsa, right. where there was a whole community, basically, that was called the Black Wall Street mm -hmm. that, was, that was decimated, burned to the ground. And if you've watched any of the programs showing what happened here, it's just, it's just awful. Um, people who are lawyers and, and bankers and hoteliers um, lost their jobs, lost their hotels or their banks, um, and that's that's something that we really haven't paid enough attention to. I understand there's work going on in Tulsa because this is the 100th anniversary of, of that massacre. Okay. Um, people are looking for where people were buried during this, but we don't talk about it enough. And for those who say, well, you're, you're not talking enough about American history and how great it is, I don't see it that way. Right. What I see is we have to broaden the focus so we know what happened in total, not only um, uh, the story that has been told perhaps by our schools and, and by our uh, parents about you know, how great America is. I think America is great, don't yeah, misunderstand me. Absolutely. But there's a lot more to learn, and being sensitive to the needs of other people, especially when there are so many is so important. I know that there's some research that has shown when there are people of color on boards, even just one or two on a board, and there are a number of students of color in the district, that those board members and the board is more likely to be sensitive to the needs of these students. Right. So. Um, that's a long way around of talking about diversity, okay. equity, and, and inclusion, but we firmly believe in it. We firmly hope that people look when they um, have empty places on their boards, people not running, to consider making sure that, um, that other people in the community have the chance to serve on a board. That's, that's how we keep um, the whole tradition and the whole system of boards of education going. And uh, we've, we've talked about it a lot. We're not right. saying get off the board if you're right. not the right color. We're certainly just talking about let's be sensitive to these people. 
And a Board of Education, one of its biggest jobs is making sure they represent all the kids in the community. Absolutely. Not just those from across the tracks or within the tracks. Right, right exactly. Uh, but all the kids. And like I said, 48 to 50 percent of our kids now in our schools in Connecticut are of color. They are going to be uh, the dominant uh, group here in the state, but that shouldn't scare white people as, right. as it seems like this CRT mm -hmm. uh, seems to be scaring people. These are great kids. I've seen them in the schools. They care. Their parents care deeply. Um, I, I ran into one of my wife who taught in uh, one of our high schools. I came home from, from work yesterday and she had a bunch of the students she had worked with. She's just retired last year. That's right. But one of the kids came over and was from Swat, Pakistan. Um, brilliant. She's going to medical school. Her wow. sister is a doctor. Wow. <laughs> really terrific. And if you know SWAT, I had to ask her about Malala, okay. one of the great, one of the great uh, people in education. Um, Malala Yousafzai, I might have said that wrong, but she was the Pakistani who helped open schools. Her father opened a school in the SWAT Valley, and she was eventually uh, taken off a bus and shot by the Taliban. Um, she now lives, from what I can tell, in England, but, but she's a hero. What, wow. what bigger hero is somebody who is working against known interests to ensure that all kids, especially uh, including women and girls, get a chance to be educated. Absolutely. So this person in my, I was so glad to talk to her, and she says, yeah, we lived a few doors down from, from Malala. <laughs> um, but they're living in this country, they, they care deeply about this country, and they're gonna be some of the best citizens we have uh, in the next 20, 30, 40 years and going Absolutely. forward. Now, you and I talked in the first half of the segment about running for Board of Education. Is there an, sure. age, is there an age requirement? No, we, we've seen kids as young as probably 18 as okay. soon as they graduate from school. And many of the boards, including in Old Saybrook, right. have students on their boards of education. Yes. And, and what we really emphasize is they shouldn't be there to come in, say the prom is in two weeks, and the, the graduation is in three weeks, yeah. and this is what's going on, but really become a part of that board helping make decisions. Absolutely. Now I know some things are uh, confidential, Yep. we understand that, but certainly to have that voice of students, and Eileen Baker has been absolutely uh, central in, in, let it, in helping this happen, of course, the state from right. from the K board uh, and from the old Saybrook board, yeah. um, and we have found whenever we have worked with with younger students, high school students in particular, they have a different perspective, and we try to make sure at our convention, which will happen in uh, in Mystic in in November, okay. it didn't happen last year, nope. except online. That's right. Um, this year we're going to go uh, for a one year uh, one day convention. Um, but over the years, we've made sure in our general sessions to bring in students to talk about their perspective on our public schools. And it's been very eye-opening for board members, and they really appreciate it. Absolutely. Matter of fact, speaking of people, you and I were talking earlier today about Dr. Carissa Niehoff. Ah, Carissa. 
Carissa was the executive director of CAS CIAC. Mm -hmm. She has moved uh, more than a year ago. I think it's more like two years already. I believe so. Uh, she has moved to Ohio. She works with the national sports teams mm -hmm. and so on. Right. And she was a wonderful, wonderful addition to, to right. the Connecticut um, mix of people in leadership. Uh, love Carissa. Oh, spoke her mind. Very forceful, very sensitive, very understanding. And uh, I think it's great that, that she's there on the national level, yeah. but I miss her as do others in Connecticut. Oh, absolutely. And then when Carissa went to out west, Ohio. Glenn took over. Exactly. That's right. And he's a pleasure to work <laughs> oh, with as well. He's great. So we have been very lucky. And even before Carissa, Mike Savage was a, a good friend oh, that uh, years ago. Um, but we, we've been very glad to be able to have the chance to work with CAS CIAC. Right. I know that uh, Patrice McCarthy, who I mentioned yep. in the other segment, yep. uh, attends their board meetings. and. Uh, Frankly, they, they do great work. They care so much about the kids. It was um, sort of sad for me to watch what happened last year with sports. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. They, the CAS, CIAC board, and Glenn in particular, were doing their best um, for the kids, and uh, the pandemic uh, really hurt that year. But hopefully we won't have to go through that again. And I know that uh, the sports teams are playing now, and it's just terrific. Absolutely. There was, not, there was not a year last year that Glenn Longarini was not on the news at least once a day. Absolutely. And I know how Glenn worked on these issues yeah. calmly, effectively. Oh, absolutely. But I know that that it's got to affect anybody. Oh, so absolutely. thank you to Glenn. Oh, absolutely, yeah, And thank, uh, yeah, thank absolutely. you to those people who serve on CAS CIAC's Absolutely, boards. and you guys have obviously worked very pretty closely with CAS CIAC as well. Absolutely, absolutely. They're fun to work with, uh, and uh, we've always uh, enjoyed being in coalition with them and working yep. together with them. Absolutely. What else do we want to talk about? Uh, <laughs> now <laughs> you're asking me. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Uh, there are so many things going on in education today. Uh, certainly, uh, minority teacher recruitment is a very big issue. Okay. Uh, Connecticut has been working on this for years. Um, approximately 10% of our uh, teachers, superintendents, and principals are of color now. And it's so important to have people of color. I serve on the the uh, State Department of Education's Minority Teacher Recruitment uh, Policy Oversight Committee. Okay. And uh, we talk about this all the time. It's very important for those 48 to 50 percent of uh, our students who are of color to see people in authority of color, whether it's a superintendent, a principal, a teacher, um, for the same reasons that it's great to see members of boards of education and others right. uh, of color. Um, and I think it's, it's an issue that we will keep pushing on. Uh, we know that um, when we get teachers into our schools, especially those who are of color, they need to be supported. Uh, they need to have other people helping them. Um, and, and I know it's not just us, it's the National School Boards Association. First, uh, the State Department of Education in particular. Mm -hmm. I know Char this is one of the big issues for uh, Charlene Russell Tucker, sure. Acting Commissioner. Yeah. Um, so we're all working on that, as, as is the State Board of Education. We all think there's a need. We're encouraging people of color to get on our boards. 
Um, one of the things where we're running into, and I hear more about it from other states, but it's still an issue, is finding enough teachers, uh, STEM teachers, that, that science, technology, uh, and other types of education that, that uh, you think with it being STEM, it would be easy to exactly, remember. I'm right. trying to remember the E and the M. Uh, but certainly it is necessary for, for uh, us to have enough science teachers, enough technology teachers, um, and it's hard to find them. And I would say as unemployment went down over the last few years, though maybe not so much now, uh, it's hard to find people to fill some of these uh, some of these particular uh, positions. Uh, what we're encouraging boards to do is work with each other, and um, in some cases, maybe we learn from um, what we saw with COVID, and that a, a district who cannot find the right teachers can maybe link up with another um, district, um, possibly remotely, right. for a class that otherwise wouldn't be uh, given in that school district. Um, so that's one of the things we're suggesting, but the issue of uh, not having enough highly qualified teachers is a concern, and uh, certainly we're going to keep on talking about it and making sure that, that people know that this is a wonderful, teaching is a wonderful opportunity to, to affect kids. Uh, I see it with my wife and the mm -hmm. program she brought into her high school, um, and there are teachers all across Connecticut who are working to make sure our kids are ready for the next, their next part of their lives uh, and into the global uh, marketplace. Now, one thing we didn't talk about yet, as far as what's going on, state and federal funding. Ah. Let's talk about money. Yes, well, we, we know that the legislature has just finished uh, going to the next year right. of the formula. Mm -hmm. uh, we were a little concerned at the beginning of the session that it, they would not do so, but they did, and they added money both for this year, fiscal year 21, and fiscal year 22 in their budget. Um, we know also that they... Uh, uh, that's general education uh, aid, which goes to all districts uh, to some extent. They held harmless 81 of our districts, who, which otherwise might have lost uh, money because of the way the formula is, is pegged to help the, uh, the districts who have less wealth. Um, so we were, have been very uh, pleased by what happened in the, in the uh, Connecticut legislature. Um, but we also have been very, very um, happy about what the federal government has done uh, under uh, Commissioner Cardona, yeah. uh, helping out with uh, President Biden, helping out with in, um, in the Congress. We also know that quite a bit of money is going to flow into Connecticut to help our districts. Now, not every district is getting a lot of money, um, but it is expected that the work will uh, that the money will be used for things like helping kids over the summer. Uh, there's a lot of concern about the lag in what kids who have had a year of mostly remote learning might have lost or not um, gained as much as they could have. Um, we're now talking about jumping ahead, Accelerate Connecticut is, is what it's being called. So there's money for that. There's money for 
uh, SEL, which is social emotional learning. Okay. Uh, we know kids are coming back from trauma. That's something that can be helped. Um, the problem we're, we're all worried about is what happens when the federal government is not supplying as much money right. for our districts. So everybody is talking about that. School districts are trying to make decisions on how to use that money to help the kids now, um, but, but being very cautious not to uh, commit themselves for more than the two years or three years that will come from um, uh, the money that the federal government is, is uh, supplying. And we know also that um, Congressman Courtney and the sure. other members of our uh, Connecticut delegation work very hard on issues like ensuring there's enough special education funding. Uh, uh, across the country and certainly in Connecticut. The way in which the Congress originally passed special education, the IDEA bill, okay. um, uh, Individuals with, with Disabilities Education Act, uh, which was called uh, the Individuals with Handicap Conditions, Handicapping Conditions, mm -hmm. uh, back when it was it was originally uh, written in the in the 70s, said that the federal government would pick up 40% of the cost of special education. Now, every school board member and every member of the uh, public who understands uh, how school budgets work right. understand that in Connecticut, we only receive about 8% to 10% of the money of that 40% uh, that goes to um, for special education, and that's because Connecticut is a a, uh, a rather wealthy state, right. and it's seen that way. Um, but um, even across the country, there only um, the Congress has only uh, given about um, twenty percent of the cost, rather than forty percent. Right. So if they go up enough. It will help Connecticut, help Connecticut students, help their, their um, special education teachers and so on. We know, we know that uh, children with, with disabilities are approximately 13% of our um, students, uh, but because of their needs uh, and sometimes having to be sent out of the, the district, that the costs are more like 20% of the total school district budget. And we're not trying to pit anybody against each other. They're right. all our kids. We have to take care of them. But we were very pleased to see, uh, particularly in, in, uh, from the Congress, really stepping up to get us as close to that 40% as possible. By the way, before we talked about STEM. Yes. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Oh, I'm sorry. It's been a long day, and my wife will never forgive me. Um, so I apologize to all you great STEM people out there. That's <laughs> okay. You. No, you're okay. So those are the major, the major issues I've brought with me. Yep. Now, how, Bob, how, how? As far as the engineering and mathematics. Yeah, this. I apologize. No, no, no. <laughs> and how? I'm sure it's been difficult for like the boards of education to prepare, prepare and plan a budget. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, a lot of the things the boards do, mm -hmm. and, and they have three major um, things. They have to 
uh, adopt policy, yep. which is like the, legis the, legislature the legislature adopts laws. Sure. Um, they have to evaluate, hire, select the superintendent, mm -hmm. and hopefully support uh, that person. But if things don't work out, they're, they are they have to figure out a way to terminate the, the right. services of the superintendent and adopt the budget. Yeah. And all of these things have to do with building relationships, building trust, building empathy. And while I think boards have done a very good job with it uh, this year, um, it's, it's been tough because yeah. they're not sitting down. Um, one of the things we teach boards uh, and new board members is it's very important to know the other people on the board. Right. Um, you're always working toward coalitions because you can't do anything by yourself. That's right. You have to have a majority of the board uh, right. voting that way. And the way you do that is understanding that, oh, Peter um, really cares about, I'm just picking a subject, yeah. uh, athletics. Right. But, but Chris really cares about the, uh, um, um, I don't know, the... The, um, the band. The, the band. I was going to say the marching band, okay. but I was also going to say, um, talk about kids with, uh, with disabilities okay, or, sure. or, or sure. kids who are doing very, very well. Right. So really what a board has to do and the leaders of the board has to understand where everybody's coming from so they can address what everybody, everybody's agenda might be. And I don't mean agenda in a bad way, it's just why they might have gotten on the board. Exactly. So the way you do that is by getting to know people on a personal level, like I've gotten to know you, Peter. Well, absolutely, Bob. And, and certainly it helps when I have to call up and say, no, I can't make that date right, exactly. uh, for a <laughs> right. meeting, or you want to tell me. Right. Um, but these are things that have been very um, difficult over the last year. Yeah. I am hoping people are starting to get together more, right. talking to each other. That's the basis of building these relationships. And uh, a good board will, will do a lot of that. Um, and we have some terrific boards in this area. And my hope is that they'll um, work not even well, not even just well with each other, right. but, but well with their superintendents, their communities, and, and of course with CABE. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got, got a little bit more time left, but before we sure. say goodnight, let's talk about really quickly what you think the fall's going to look like as far as school goes. Well, my hope is that by, um, by the fall that, that uh, our youngest kids mm -hmm. who uh, may not uh, spread the disease as easily as older kids um, will be vaccinated or at least start to be vaccinated. Um, certainly we are waiting for the CDC and the Department of Health to tell us when there is a vaccine that, that will be good for our kids. I think you will, um, you will see kids co coming back. My hope is um, that they'll all be uh, in school, not remote, not hybrid, but in school, um, hanging out with their best friends, learning from their teachers, taking part in all kinds of great intramural activities and, and great programs that we have in our schools for them. And my hope uh, is that we did enough to let the, uh, the graduates, especially from last year, who had yeah. such a tough year, missed out on their proms, missed out on the uh, yeah. getting together. 
hopefully, as I've seen in some districts, they've they've done new uh, graduations yep. for them um, and really provide uh, our students um, who who lost out last year what we can. And certainly going forward, I hope every year is is great for them and everybody has a chance to really graduate and uh, and sort of be. Yeah. Very proud of it and show everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bob Rader from Cape Rada Time. I want to thank you for coming so down. Nice. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. Anytime you ask. You got me. it. Bob, good to see you, my friend. You too, Peter. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. On behalf of Bob Rader, I'm Pete Mazzetti. Thanks. Good night. We'll see you next time.